From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and our guest today is Dr. Allison Rossett, longtime professor at San Diego State University, now retired, and the author of a number of important books on learning and training development. We're excited to have her with us on this, our inaugural episode. Dr. Rossett, welcome. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Very happy, in fact. Well, thank you so much. We're honored to have you on for this, our first episode. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about trends. So we're recording this episode at the start of 2016. And I don't know about you, I'm still forming the habit of writing those numbers. But we're reminded at the turn of a year that the only constant is change. And that's true of our industry, which lies at this intersection of learning and technology and design. Now, of course, the tech and the tools are an ever-moving target. But with learning... Isn't it pretty much the same thing all the time? How are things different today than they were, say, two or five years ago? Learning is learning, right? <laughs> I think that's a fair fair statement. Learning is learning. Uh, yeah, sure. It's true that how we learn, um, it's pretty stable. Humans, you know? Um, what do we learn? We learn through great examples. We learn through practice. We learn through feedback. Yeah, that how we learn, but the business of learning, the enterprise of learning, the kind of things that are influencing what goes on at a place like DAU, um, that's not the same. It's not the same as it was two or five or 10 years ago. And let me say a few reasons, I think. First thing is that organizations now have become ever more committed to universal standardized development experiences. They are. Executives are beginning to expect expect this. They expect us in a learning enterprise to deliver 724 learning support and information, perhaps even communities. Expect it. And individuals seek and even demand everything when they want it, where they want it, even sometimes personalized for their needs, achievements, and aspirations. Another major change, and this affects us, there's no doubt about it, is that there are new habits of cost avoidance. I'll just say a few words. Khan, K-H-A-N, Khan, Uh, Salman Khan, MOOCs and webinars. Let's just take those things. The Khan Academy, MOOCs and webinars, their influence on everybody is the same thing. Learning should be free or very, very, very inexpensive. Wow, that affects us, you know? And I guess two other major things make things different in the enterprise. What is, what is the context and what is expected of us? And that, uh, the third is accountability. Uh, every study suggests that workplace learning is still doing most of its measurement as are you satisfied? What the old Kirkpatrick level one, not 
uh, contributions to real meaningful strategic outcomes. Um, what proof is there that investments in learning are delivering value commensurate with cost? What proof? Huh? And so that's the third and the fourth big influence, I believe, of course, is technology, but not just technology for delivery. That's obvious and, of course, of great interest, but also technology to track engagement, technology to personalize, technology to enable communication and sharing and social networks. So, yeah, it's a new world for learning. It, it isn't the same. No, it isn't. Yeah, it, it really has changed. I think I hear embedded in that last remark the idea of big data. I was just wondering if you could speak to that briefly. Sure. Um, it, it, <laughs> we've always gone out and uh, to some extent collected little data. What do you need? What do you want? But when we talk about big data, we're talking about the data that in many cases already exists in the organization. And how can we use it to tease out lessons about who is successful, why they're successful, what they need, where they make errors, and to use the data already resident in our organizations for, for, for pictures of um, opportunities and, 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 of course, pain points. As I've been learning about big data, we've realized that we can track just myriad points of data, just mind-boggling numbers of data that multiply upon themselves. And I wonder if the learning industry is caught up to that yet. Do you see that type of intensive data gathering happening yet in the average organization? No, not in, the, not in workplace learning enterprises. I'm seeing it more now in K-12 and, and higher education but not yet in workplace learning. But it's coming. It's coming. It is. <laughs> slowly, slowly. And maybe CAU will be one of those places that does it. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. On the computer, we can track everything, everything from heuristics and habits and all that type of data to how people are consuming things. So, yes, this is a remarkable development. So you've mentioned about the change, but how is learning changing? Where, where do learning leaders want to go with their organizations? Yeah, I, I've actually done a, a, some study on this. So let, let me talk about some of the major trends that I see occurring. And, and this first one is, is, I think, maybe a little different. And that is that the learning organization is taking, well, is being asked, uh, is being looked to for more intentional contributions to the culture that learning and continuous improvement will now be embedded in the culture and that that will be a significant uh, manifestation of the culture of the organization. Uh, you can't be a person in your difficult uh, political changing regulated environment without continuously improving the people who, who do the work, both the, the military and the civilians. So a role in culture, um, that's, that's enormous. So I'd say that's, that's a key, key trend. And I guess another piece of the culture side is that the line and the learning enterprise become really, truly partners to make learning and knowledge sharing happen. That, I mean, that's, that's a nice sentence, but it's a critical reality. 
And when I work in organizations and I do all, you know, all over the world, when they are successful, when the learning enterprise is successful, it is because they are really, truly devoted partners to the line in, in, in many ways. So other, other things that I think are happening. Uh, you mentioned it before, but data are collected and are used to focus, tailor, and improve programs. To focus, tailor, and improve programs and to report on what's happening, what's working, what difference is being made. We need to be on the dashboards. Um, solution. Another thing, and this is we've been. I've been talking about this for twenty years, maybe longer. Solutions that we deliver go beyond the classroom to where people work. Your, your, you know, people in your world in the DAU world are everywhere. They're everywhere in the world. Uh, we absolutely need to deliver to them where they are, when they need it, and in smaller, of course, bites. Uh, Another piece of the practice that I think is important is the constant striving to be better at the work. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But our world is changing so fast. You can't be the learning professional, the learning and performance professional that you were in 1988 or 1992 or 1998 when you got your degree no matter how high that degree was, uh, more aspirations and more, more, more change, more trends. But I think they're ha- we are hard on their heels, uh, more digital, more mobile. Who doesn't want it when they want it, where they want it. And D- DAU people want it when they want it. While let's be honest here. A recent ATD study found that instructor led training is still number one. of what is delivered. Do you believe it? I believe the change is on the horizon. It will be more digital, more mobile, smaller in size. So the commitment and time is smaller, but targeted to what it is that needs to be done and hopefully intelligently crafted. Some of it to memory. So practice over time and space, but some of it just to reference and performance support. And, you know, that's one of my interests in, in, and has been for years, uh, the book that I wrote on job aids and performance support, my earliest book back in the, oh gosh, got to be early 90s, called The Handbook of Job Aids. I've always been interested in that mixture of what do we need to know in our mind, heart, and belly by heart, and what is it we can reach for at the moment of need. And I think we've got to be ever more mindful of that. Uh, more individualized, self-directed, and technology-enabled. And when I asked, um, and and Jim Marshall and I did a study uh, that was actually on the front page of the ATD journal, it was ASTD journal then, a couple of years ago. And we asked hundreds of learning professionals what they're doing now and what their top aspirations were. And their top aspiration was individualization and personalization. In In other words, being better at delivering to people what it is they need in particular. Uh, and that, I mean, that's a really big deal. So um, I guess those are what I think are the main things coming to us that we're talking about uh, more personalization, more individualization, more technology enabling. Uh, and we're talking about learning and reference assets. 
learning and reference assets, performance support assets, job aid assets, checklist assets, things that help people be better at the work in small sizes targeted to the problem they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Do you see a lot of that personalization as an automated adaptive function that technology takes care of? (laughs) Well, eventually technology will aid and abet it, but it needs a human brain to figure out, first of all, what do we mean by goodness if we're talking about uh, completing tasks, uh, acquiring something, uh, doing quality control, vetting a vendor, um, uh, retirement specialists. I did project with retirement specialists. We had to be clear about what it is that retirement specialists knew at the most basic level all the way up to very complicated and complex retirement problems where people were retiring in foreign lands after divorces. They were really complicated. And so somebody's got to be clear about what goodness looks like. They have to create assessments and self-assessments that enable people to look at themselves in light of those standards. And then they have to produce assets, learning and reference assets, learning and reference assets that are keyed to those deficits that will emerge, those needs that will emerge. So yeah, technology has a role, it's critical. It's gonna serve up those assessments. It's gonna present those standards. It's going to serve up the assets that match. But it's a human brain that's going to make this happen. You've mentioned a couple of times about duration and shorter durations, targeted materials. Do you see that as merely the growing up of the Sesame Street generation now distracted by technology and notifications going off? Or or are you speaking to just getting more efficient and targeted? I'm, I'm just wondering what factors go into that. I think both. I think both. I'm not the Sesame Street generation. I am. Well, I'm not. Um, but I'm, I, I want what I want when I want it. And I want it um, in a tasty morsel mm-hmm. that enables me to do what I need to do. I'm, I'm doing something new next week. I'm going to the Sundance Film Festival. And, you know, there's a lot involved in this. First of all, I live in San Diego, so there's all this concern about the weather and what kind of things I need to protect myself. In fact, I'm writing right down that I have to get those wool socks And I literally went online to look at what kinds of things one needs in this kind of weather. Uh, I mean, you'd think I hadn't grown up in the East, which, of course, I had. But it's amazing how much you forget. And I I don't have most of those things. So, I I mean, and then how to find out about the films. And I found an app. And there's certain things that the app delivers and then certain things that I've been using a coach for. We have several people we know who've been to Sundance and they're coaching us. I mean, it's a, it's not a small matter. I don't want a dissertation on the history of film. And I don't even want a, a dissertation on the history of Sundance Film Festival. I want to know what I want when I'm working on that particular thing. Yes. And so I'm not, I'm not Sesame Street. <laughs> no. But you know, I, I am. We all, who want, you know, I'm still amazed. I had grad students sitting in classes for 30 plus plus years and those classes were two hours and what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I, I don't know how they endured it. Mm. I mean, I managed to endure it because I was, you know, into it. But wow, how did we how did we do that? And of course, one of the ways that I did it was I broke it into pieces and parts and we worked, did one thing and then we worked on another, you know, but 
it was an awful lot. And who the heck can remember it? There's that too, the issue of transfer. It's true. I've puzzled over this because I see some counterintuitive trends where, you know, in publishing, a lot of novels and books are actually getting longer. Movies, we have a lot of movies that are two hours, three hours. And it's just interesting to see uh, what kinds of material people will give their attention span to. That's the key. It's that scarce commodity of attention. And so on the one hand, we don't want to underestimate learners. And at the same time, we want to use their time very well. And I suppose there's a difference also between the the extrinsic and the intrinsic need to learn these things as a factor. But I see those two, a little tension there that I I haven't quite resolved in my own mind. Uh, uh, You know what? I actually think that's a really good point you made. Because I am reading longer and longer novels. I'm now in a quadrilogy by Elena Ferrantes, an Italian um, author, translated into English, of course. And I'm in on the second book. I mean, this thing goes on and on, and I'm loving it. This is, I really like it. Uh, I like the length of it. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I'm going to go to the Sundance example I used before. I'm going to go there and sit in two hour, two and a half hour films. No problem. Yeah. No problem. So, but let's talk about what it is that, um, you know, DAU is the, the kinds of performance DAU is talking about. And and I don't need to remember everything about the Ferrante novels or the films I see at Sundance. I, I don't. Best not, because I don't remember much. But you need a certain level of performance from your DAU people. Yes. They can't sort of remember the gist and then wing it. So not only do they need to learn in smaller bites, they need to be able to refer to a checklist that helps them handle it well to a certain standard. My knowledge of those films are the Ferrante novels. Let's be honest, not to a certain standard. Yes. So it's a very different story, I think. But your point is an interesting one. Uh, And maybe it's like everything else. The things in the middle are falling away. We're wanting longer stories uh, of our own discretion that we've chosen. But we're wanting shorter morsels of learning and reference. Yeah, I thought about this because I you may recall that article that came out, uh, is Google making us stupid? And Yes, I remember it. I used it with my yeah. grad students way back when, yeah. And this concern for a degradation of attention span, can we sit through long-form reading? And I read that and I actually got worried and I'm thinking, I better sit down with a, you know, uh, you know, a Dostoevsky novel or something and just train my brain to, to do that type of discipline. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Based on something you said a little bit earlier, I remember you gave a talk uh, about five years ago. I'm, I'm hearkening back to your mention of performance support, and I'm thinking about the role of mobile. You gave a wonderful talk at George Mason, and you told about how you've tried and failed to learn about wine, and you've taken wine courses. Ah, yes. But, but nothing succeeded like having that personal sidekick of a wine app. I just wonder if you could touch on that briefly. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm good at drinking it, but not so good at um, recommending it or selecting it. But I'm much much better since I got the app. But let's also recognize that I had taken the half day course. I had looked at some students. My students had built some online uh, modules on wine before I got to the. And I'd gone out with many friends who knew a lot more than I did. So I'd had some coaching. 
but it's the app that enables me to handle the task in the context of the store. So when I, or in the context of the store, plus whatever it is I'm serving. So I want a wine to match the food, sort of, kind of. So I had a knowledge base. You know, I know white and red and rosé. I know that rosé is on the upswing. I mean, I know some things. I have some scaffolding. Then I use an app. I don't know if I were a total wine virgin come to San Diego from Mars, if an app would be all that helpful to me. So again, it's that combination of things. I can't, the app that the army captains built for um, Iraq, I think it was Iraq, maybe it was Afghanistan, but it doesn't really matter. I don't think I could use their app. I don't have any scaffolding. So it's it's very often, it's a marriage. And on my website, alisonrossett.com, I have an article I wrote about um, blending performance support and learning. That might be worth taking a look at. If you're, it's easy to find, alisonrossett.com. And just throw in, you'll see a word cloud on the right, and you can just, you know, put a, pick performance support, and it'll take you to some things that I've written about. It. Excellent. I, I will do that. I have a final question for you, Dr. Rossett. We spoke about the trends and this amazing time of change and where leaders want to go with their organizations. What barriers stand in the way of change and reform, and what can we do about it? Yeah, fair question. Well, I'm going to use some data that I saw from, I think it was the Center for Training Associates, but also my own experiences on this. Uh, Center for Training Associates, I think, asked CLOs, and I, of course, have talked to many, many of them. They're all old buddies. Um, so what do I think? I'm going to say that the, I'm going to put it on us. I'm going to put it on workplace learning professionals. You could say we lack technology, but, you know, I'm going to use a, gov- I did a government study. Now, this has got to be six or seven years ago for a government agency that I won't name. But, I mean, with an N of more than 3,000 anonymous. And the learning professionals had said to me, we can't. This is now a few years back. We can't do it because we we don't have the technology. So we asked the line, and the line was all over the world for this organization. It was not DAU. Um, And we, so we asked them overwhelmingly they reported they had access to the technology they needed. And this was six or seven years ago. So it's not the technology. I'm going to put it on us and say that first thing is we lack sufficient proof of results to garner the support that would make us the advocates and partners in the line that we need to go forward with some of these reforms and changes. So that's one thing. Next thing, I think we lack a vision, a dream, a plan for pilots that will attract those partners and advocates in the line to work on meaningful problems in these ways. Do you know their aspirations? Do you know where the blood is on the floor, where they have pain points, what, they, what wakes them up at night so that you can come to them with a, an idea for a pilot? that won't cost everything, but will help them maybe do some less training, more a combination of uh, training and performance support, maybe some use of online coaching, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think to some extent, 
people always say, oh, we can't do it, we don't have time. Well, to me, the lack of time is really a lack of our skills and knowledge, maybe a little lack of our courage. Um, we have a preference for the familiar. I have a preference for the familiar. We are human, for sure. But to say we're human, and thus we prefer the familiar, certainty, you know, our brains, they like certainty. They like the familiar. They like to know how it's going to come out. And this is risky. This is risky business, especially if we actually measure it. So we are human for sure, but that's just not a good enough excuse. So I guess what I would say is I encourage you to study up on these possibilities, to commit yourself to working on how could social networks, how make a difference at DAU, how could more critical inquiry built into the curriculum how can you change those classes to encourage more transfer into the field? How can you provide more materials to which they will reach at the moment of need? How can you personalize and individualize? And that's a big project. That's not a small project. How can you take advantage of their digital and mobile devices, either the ones you've given them or their own? I guess I'd just leave you and say, what are you going to do next? For yourself, for your own development, and then for the workforce. That's wonderful advice. I think it just comes under the heading of resistance, like you said, yeah. being comfortable with the familiar. It's the devil we know. And many organizations are kind of stuck in their circa 90s through 2000s e-learning model. And we've been talking about mobile and many things for a long time, but it takes a while to get traction. And we're, I think this industry is a little bit of a lagging indicator of where technology is Anyway, there is that time to digest. How will we do mobile? How will we do social? How will we do all these other things? So this is very valuable. And I thank you, though, for coming on with us, Dr. Rossett. Do you have any closing thoughts? No, just because I serve on the Board of Visitors for DAU, I know how important the work is and how devoted the leadership is, and yet that there's much, much, much more to do. There is. We thank you for having this conversation with us. Pleasure. For our listeners, check out Dr. Rossett's books that were mentioned and her website, alisonrossett.com. Some wonderful articles there. Thank you again, Dr. Rossett. Pleasure. Take care, everybody. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.